This episode of Everything Hurts is brought to you by Paperpile, the reference manager you'll actually want to use. Paperpile works seamlessly with Google Docs and Word for inserting citations and generating reference lists. Paperpile's iOS and Android apps also make it super easy to add and read papers on the go. Everything Hurts listeners get 20% off the Paperpile subscription with the coupon code HURTS. To learn more, visit paperpile.com. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana and I'm here with James Heathers for episode 133. James, how you going? I saw you did a piece in the Atlantic today. Oh, uh, yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. That'll just date this podcast horribly <laughs> to the amount of time it takes it to get put out. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 tie everything we do to a temporal timeline we can't sustain, Daniel. Good point. Next yeah, week, James. Next week. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. And that's next week, though, isn't it? Week is a long time in politics. The piece. Did you like it? I did. I did like it. I like the concepts. It was good. Do you want to explain to, 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 to the dear listeners what you wrote about? Well, I might have read it by now. So it's a silly little thing that I do when you hear that some someone's got some mad conception about some shit, you know. This particular supplement does insert health outcome here. This... Uh, you know, this form of exercise is better than all the others, and it, it uh, it's the best. You have to do it. You have to get your granny to do it. Yes, it involves people hitting you with sticks, but you just can't deny the benefits. So granny needs to be in the big stick line with everyone else. And this one was about um, the idea of putting microchips in a vaccine, and I was kind of low-key obsessed with it because it's one of these, like, these things are all possible. The whole point of art, and look at all the look at all the contravening evidence, and look at the practical barriers to doing that, and it isn't true. I don't like that. It just has no appeal to me. That's why I never got into much sort of of the myth busting world. You know, well, it's very popular to bash, uh, you know, alternative medicine and Catholics and easy, easy targets. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just not. It's much more fun to go. Oh, okay, let's let's make it work. What if that was true? What are we going to learn? I mean, it's just how it's how my mind was. I would argue with people. It's just just I want to teach people how to dig into stuff. And I had this mad conception, so I, I wrote to them, and they went, "Well, this is obviously not what we normally publish." And they took out all the fucks, and now we're here. So. You know, not something I'd normally choose to do. Normally, I'd write about science policy or some other fucking fascinating stuff like that, but not today. It was good fun. It was good fun to write. It was good fun to think about. I'll do it more if anyone will let me. There you go. All the uh, uh, section editors listening to this, all or none of you. <laughs> yeah. We will put that- Buy my stuff. It's great. We'll put that in the show notes. James, I want to ask you, have you mm. ever submitted- a paper which involved a submission fee. No, I haven't. Um, this isn't super common within our fields of no, doing that. In different fields, there is uh, sometimes it's common within conferences, but in different fields, yeah. quite often you'll find that you have to submit. When you submit your paper, there is a small fee or a large fee attached to this. And 
I saw a piece in um, Scholarly Kitchen, that, um, that, that blog series, which was making mm. the argument that we should um, radically increase submission fees and that if we radically increase submission fees, we could actually drop the cost of APCs. So they were making the argument that you could make APCs for every single journal about 1500 yeah, I think previously we've spoken about the um, right now, if you want your paper copy edited and the manuscript submission system, all that kind of stuff, like when we spoke with, um, uh, spoken, speaking about PJ, for instance, it costs about a thousand US if you want all that infrastructure. I know there's overlay journals and that kind of stuff, but if you want the journal infrastructure, if you want to run the thing, you need about 1000 US. So with, with this particular blog post, they were making the argument that you can, every single journal, no matter from like the bottom of the prestige pile all the way to the top of the prestige pile, can get away with a submission fee of about 1300 So this is the combination of about a $250 submission fee um, uh, and like 1100 if your paper is accepted. Um, and I kind of disagree with this because I think once you have a submission fee, one of the purposes of a submission fee is to discourage bullshit submissions and you've, you've probably heard this before that if you actually have this submission fee there look <laughs> this is the the, the the fact that you're excluding um let, let, let's just assume if you were going to do this that there would be a whole list of countries that you, you would completely scrap the submission fee um because that that in itself is 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 pretty wild but um the idea would be that you would discourage um submissions because you had a, you'd have to actually think about it did does this paper actually have a good chance? Am I going to spend this money? Um, but then the thing is, with these prestigious journals, if you're actually um, putting um, a submission fee, then you're going to get less submissions. But the only way to actually maintain your costs is to increase your submission fee. So the maths doesn't quite figure out. And in the blog post, they're like, yeah, um, for, for, for some journals, we can get up to $500. If, if we do a $500 submission fee, then we can afford it. So it all seems a bit strange. So what, what is your take on, do you think there's any value whatsoever on having a submission fee? Good question. Um, let's immediately dispense with me. You're talking about this. There's two, there's two different things here. There's what I would call a popcorn fee, which is a, a, a method of like discouraging journal hopping, uh, pushing back against bullshit, etc. You know, $20, $30, $50, like a submission fee. That means don't waste my fucking time. Or like it's going to cost you a small amount of money to get my attention. And I feel like that would change wildly with the journal as to whether or not, uh, uh, whether that would work. If you're submitting something you genuinely want to be published in a genuinely fancy pants journal, it's, it's as spit shined as you can make it. A lot of the time, if you're serious about it, obviously there aren't people who act like that. They just go, oh, no, we'll send it to nature and see what happens. <laughs> Put it on the CV, <laughs> su- su- submitted nature. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rope, yeah. Update the CV and then send it out real quick before they reject it in the next six hours. Um, that's, that's, one, that's one separate thing. Um, I'm also not, uh, I'm not convinced that it'd save a lot of work because a lot of things that are submitted like on a whim or because their toilet are desk rejected. So you're not saving people's, uh, you're not saving energy. This is, uh, you know, 30 seconds for, for an editor a lot of the time. 
and you know, fancy enough journal might be someone who's already getting paid. So that is, uh, it's possible for that to work somewhere. It depends. Um, it's certainly going to discourage different forms of journal hopping. Um, the obvious problem when it comes right down to the, the kind of like, how does this all shake out? As you you graduate student, you have some great idea all by yourself. You write up a paper all by yourself. It's not supported by anyone, and then someone suddenly someone's asking you to pay money for it. I've never heard a better argument for preprints in my life. Go fuck yourself, you know. I I did it. Here it is, my gift to you. I'm not fucking paying for you to read it. Eat me, you know. So there's. Plenty of arguments to be made that there's there's a strong exclusionary element of that that is not going to go away if you say oh let's let's take the fees to zero if you're from Botswana or Lithuania or the bottom of the fucking ocean or wherever else. There's plenty of people uh, running on shoestrings, especially these days, and, uh, and all the structural funding's gone to shit in the last year or so. Um, there's plenty of people who. I mean, you've got four, six graduate students. They're writing one or two papers a year. You bump that initial submission fee up to two or three hundred dollars. You know, all of a sudden you could be talking real money. Um, the multiple the multiplicans here where everything starts to get interesting. So let's put all of that to one side because I mean it makes sense to talk about it, but. Eh. Here's the guts of it. It's very difficult to predict how second and third order effects work in a system like this. Right? So let's say we make, um, what was your sort of median-ish for like a proper decent submission fee, you know, at a good journal? What do you think it would be? Because I haven't, I haven't read this article. I saw something about this ages ago. I didn't see anything recently. Um, that well, that they were saying that um, going essentially the more prestigious the article, the the higher the rejection rate. So if you do the math, yeah, 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 yeah. If you do the maths right, I think they landed on two fifty or three hundred for a submission fee. Can bring down an APC, can bring down all APCs to one thousand five hundred in total. Okay, so now all the people getting articles rejected are subsidising the existing publication costs of the people who are getting the articles accepted. That's the argument. Yes. And they're saying it's for the greater good because the APCs are getting driven down. But I think the whole system will just fall down because people will submit less. And when you submit less, you have to increase the um, you have to um, increase the initial submission fee if you want to maintain your your prestige. Um, and I mean, I mean mm. a, lot, a lot of journals they're very proud. Well, yeah. So at the moment, you've got someone who's not doing this. Um, you know, the community-supported journal or something, even if it's OA at the end. Or it's just a regular old, you know, you'll get access to it through a university or steal it from the publisher kind of journal with no fucking submission fee. Um, it's just, I mean, it's another thing to organise. You've got to get a fucking credit card. You've got to have a, 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 an argument with your toxic PI about whether or not you get to submit this to a third journal or you just have to leave it in cyberspace or stick it in your dissertation forever. 
um, you, you, you're going to end up moving the blocks around on an economy that's really difficult to predict. It's going to result in a lot more submissions for journals that don't do this because this is for this is an OA support mechanism rather than a rev gen opportunity, right? It's not journals in the most traditional format going, do you know what? We could just get cash if we ask people. Like a super fucking sophisticated business model. Well done. Have an MBA, dickhead. Um, it's not that. Um, so it's it's going to I mean, see you're you're, ab- you're absolutely right. You start driving down initial submissions. Like, oh, why are we paying money at this journal with a six percent acceptance rate? And we can just we know it's going to go elsewhere anyway because those people are too fancy for us. It's going to end up elsewhere anyway. Why don't we just start there? So if that's the case, I mean, open access publishing is a volume business. There's no way to make anything sufficiently prestigious that some fuckhead's going to pay you $40,000 to publish an article. Yeah? There's no top tier. I mean, there's different journals that do that, but especially within my big self-contained journal groups with their own identity. Plus, eLife, PJ, whatever. Right? They can't up the OA fee to different tiered models of whatever. They have to have more shit coming in. Right? Now, when you when you narrow the top of that funnel for the more shit coming in, you, you you want to make sure that the amount that that narrows multiplied by the uh, submission fee is different to the eventual acceptance multiplied by the acceptance fee and how they trade one off versus the other. So if a sane business had wanted to try this, would test it, you'd say, here's a different payment structure. You can pick this one or this one. And you put a stop loss on it. Yeah? You're treating this like a like a marketing campaign. So we'll spend up to this amount of money to do uh, this amount of stuff and see see how it works out. See who you're getting submissions from. Because yeah, you push the you push the button on that and roll it out and you could you could geek the whole thing right from the right from the start. So in general, as well, the whole idea of submission payments for me is a little bit like, you know, you've got a big gash in your leg from a car accident and then someone says, I've got a different kind of Band-Aid. And like, piss off, I need surgery. Um, <laughs> you know, I've got a different thing. kind of butterfly sutures. You're like, well, you've got to tie off my fucking artery here. Um, I'm 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 bleeding to death. Um, I don't want a bandaid. But you've made a good uh, point. I want, some, I want someone with forceps. This could and would probably drive people more to preprints because they're looking at this going. This is this is ridiculous. Imagine going going to your going to your finance person and going, "Can I have four hundred bucks to submit to a journal?" Yeah, cool. Your paper's going to get published, right? Oh no, I have no idea. This uh, this, this journal has a success rate of ten percent. Um, and they're just going to go, what? We're giving you 400 bucks for something which has a 10% success rate. I just don't think it's, it's going to fly unless you are part of a super rich lab. And once again, we see um, this is just another thing which is going to advantage labs that are already doing quite well for themselves. So 
I'll, I will link to this to this blog post, and you can see the maths for yourself. Um, I don't think when it'll was, work. When when was this published, Mister Tan? This this came in my feed. Um, this, I think this, I think this was published um, a couple of years ago. It, was, it wasn't it wasn't published recently, but I had I had. Oh, a, we might have read this. We might have read the same one there. Yeah, I I only occasionally um, I only occasionally read the sketch because um, I mean a lot of the people who are authors are very obviously handmaidens and courtiers to a publishing system that they see no reason to reimagine. Um, they've made their peace entirely with the fact that, oh, well, I mean, it might not be perfect, but it's the best we've got, and then use that as reasons to fiddle at the margins of everything that's possible, um, which means a lot of it is very smug and very boring. Um, it doesn't mean they don't have good stuff. Everywhere has good stuff. That's a, a, a good rule for any outlet. You know, unless it's total garbage, something that never has good stuff is like that's genuinely amazing. This was a, a this was a good thought experiment though. But one thing which um, I've remembered now that we're talking about it, I think one of the big publishers is actually trialing something like this. I do remember. Maybe it's hmm. maybe it's the cell um, the cell group. They're doing a thing where not every paper does this, but you have the option of paying a pre-submission fee, um, and they sort of I think they read it and say your paper has a very good shot within this particular journal across the cell family. And then if your paper eventually gets published, you actually get a discount in, instead of, so instead of you paying an APC of, of say 5,000 uh, bucks, mm. you would pay the pre-submission fee of a thousand bucks and then your paper gets accepted and you would pay 3,000 bucks. Um, that, Something like that is happening. Um, maybe, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll find it and post a link to it. But I do remember one of the publishers is trialing this sort of system. And it's, like you said, it's interesting. Like if this is a thing, some of the pe- people are going to try it. And if it works, they're, they, they're going to use it. They're not going to imp- roll it out across the whole system if it didn't work. They're, they're literally collecting data to see are people interested in this model and what is the, the, the feedback. And if authors, um, some authors would be very happy because they're paying lower APCs. So it'll be interesting to see how this uh, how this trial pans out. Yeah, I mean, we, we often have difficulty when we talk about things like this of splitting off the business of publishing and the business models of publishing and the reality of publishing with the fact that a fair chunk of the entire people who use this as a service where it's part of their lives regard the entire thing as somehow illegitimate and would prefer that the entire thing got flushed right off the face of the planet. Um, And that's not putting it too strongly, honestly. I'm probably more forgiving, especially having to help run one of the business complications of something like this. And anyone who wants to like see under the hood of this should go back and listen to the PJ episode. That was good. Because what actually has to happen to make this work, the systems involved, the storage involved, the access involved, uh, maintaining the uptime, editing, copy editing, um, database maintenance, blah, blah. It isn't straightforward and free. 
and you can't get, you know, you've got a bunch of social psychologists. What, what are you, you going to, you going to write your own sequel? Are you? You're going to make your own databases? Really? You're going to get all the integrations and all the back-end shit that you need? All those, like, serious web development? You're going to do all that? You're fucking not. I promise you, you're not. It's hard. And engineers are not free. Even if scientists are. <laughs> James, I'm very excited. And I think you're excited as well. We have... I'm always excited. What am I excited about? We have, we have a new partner. Fuck yeah. Go on, Dan. We have a new partner. Uh, Paper Pile Reference Management uh, for organizing your citations and all of your PDFs. Paper Pile, James. This popped up uh, more than a a year, maybe two years ago for me. I originally didn't recognize the name when I, I saw this, but the thing itself... It took me a minute. I'm like, that's the thing in my Google Documents where you click on add-ons and then you uh, you get the add-on where it's, uh, where it's possible on that menu. And this magical thing pops up on the sidebar. And there's a whole lot of features which I'm sure you'll tell us about. But I have been using this religiously for every citable document that I have to produce. And I've trust me, I've tried everything. But if you're going to use Google Suite stuff, which a lot of people do because of the accessibility and the ease of, uh, ease of being able to track edits, shit like that, a lot of academics do not use. I mean, Overleaf is probably better for some, especially if you've got text involved. Um, there, there, is, there, is bib text. there is bib text in PayPal. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I know. It's, uh, it's just habits, you know. People, uh, especially if you're old school, sure. you're probably going to use Overleaf. But I would have said the, the the last few years, like even now, and for chunks of my academic or whatever's, um, it was all GDocs all the time, just because of the access. Easy. I have, um, I have auto LaTeX equations rather than um whatever the hell you said already on my um already on my uh my google docs but the actual formal functionality for this it was the thing that was missing for me in google docs to be able to do reference management and insertion and i I can the fastest paper that i ever wrote was google docs with the paper pile add-on there's not a lot of like things that are genuinely useful for academic workflow stuff. There's plenty of things that are a bit useful, you know, and obviously there's a lot of reference managers. But for something that actually made a, a, a like I could I could look you in the eye and say that made a genuine difference to how I managed to sling this shit out, is definitely one of them. Um, big fan, super glad they wanted to talk to us. Now here we are. Awesome. Go on. Oh, you're doing that thing. You're doing that thing where you're getting all crinkly at the sides and you want to say I'm, something. I'm excited. What do you want to say? You, you look like a dog that knows there's a treat in a hand <laughs> being held over his head. What? Say it. The smartphone app and sync between the web browser and the smartphone app. It, it is, it's amazing. It works. The app is incredible. 
I love Sorry, it. Sorry, why do you need references on your phone? Okay, so let's say I'm I'm on I'm on I'm on Twitter. Someone goes, here's a here's a good paper. With a single click using the share sheet, I can save that paper directly to Paperpile, and then it extracts the 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 um all the information, the reference information, and if it's available, it extracts the PDF. And as well as actually getting that onto your phone, it automatically syncs to your desktop. And then if you're on your desktop and you're doing highlights, you're doing stuff on the PDF, and that syncs back to your phone as well. It just works. I'm going to tell you, I used to use Papers. Papers was my old reference managing system, but their their app just sucked and it was getting clunky and it was getting- I, rem- I remember you bitching about this yeah. because you buy anything. The moment you stick an Apple sticker on the outside of something or you get something that's iOS only, you immediately get a very diminutive but persistent hard-on for it and then decide somehow that it's great. I was never fully convinced by papers. It looked, it looked okay. It was good but, uh, look, a couple of I years didn't, ago. I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking, I wasn't thinking of that. So, but basically, when you're just knocking around the internet and you see a thing, there's app with auto import, and that puts it in your reference manager. Done. PDF. Okay. I don't think I don't think anything else has that functionality. It's very, it's very, Fuck, very. I might even, I might even try that. It's very, it's very impressive. You're ruining my ability to be <laughs> cynical. This is annoying. Uh, another thing is it's super, super easy to export your data as well. Um, other reference managers makes it uh, have make it really hard to actually export your data. Um, mm. uh, another really cool feature um, is that because it's a web browser, if you're on PubMed or Google Scholar, there's an automatic button saying add to paper pile. And it tells you yep. if you already have it in your library, uh, the amount of times I've like, oh, this paper's cool. And I import it. I'm like, oh shit, that's like the fourth time I've imported this paper. I, I better read it. <laughs> do you remember, do you remember using old school EndNote where oh. it would do that thing where it would hoover up every PDF that you'd ever it's owned? So and, you'd, and, and you'd end up with six copies of the same thing. And some of them would have like slightly different characters yeah. somewhere. And, yeah. you'd, and it couldn't figure out where the fucking duplicates were. It used to drive me nuts. Oh. Uh, I had a paper that was caught once. Um, this is way back, way back, like right after you left for Norway. I remember there were duplicates in the um, in the reference section. I remember being unaccountably offended by that. I was like, copy edit, it was better than me. Well, who saw that coming? <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a good duplicate detection there. But yes, so paper pile uh, normally. It's uh, two ninety nine a month for academics, uh, but Hertz listeners get twenty percent off. Hertz listeners will get twenty percent off paper pile um, when you go to the checkout. Just use the discount code Hertz H E R T Z, and you can also try it for free, fully featured for for thirty days as well. But um, once uh, make your PI pay, or you can do that too. Yeah. Yeah, I think that you should. I mean, it's like good on them for figuring out a pricing model where people actually buy something. Like, good move. Um, this is a yeah. This is the wonder. The, the wonders of scaling a software business. I have a tremendous amount of jealousy when I see things like that. Um, that's a good idea. If we start, I will. I will get it for work for my team when we have uh, external projects that require all of this to be tracked between uh, multiple scientists and engineers working with external sources, no question. Yeah, collaborative stuff. I've only just recently uh, started doing more papers within um, within Google Docs just for when it comes to collaboration. It just it works really well and everyone has access oh, to it. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. We're getting another word file with underscore final, underscore yeah, final, seriously. underscore final. No, I really mean it, underscore final. Fuck off. Stop being old. Uh, but, but yeah, before I forget, you can use PaperPal with, with Word as well. But oh, the, the, the Word equivalent of Google Docs, it's free, apparently, so you don't even need a Word license. But I've tried it for some mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, it's free. Oh, this, this surprised me as well. So you can use. Sorry, sorry. Which which word equivalent of Google Docs would you like? Oh, the Word Online w- thing. Word Online, oh, the one that doesn't let you cut and paste, drives me absolutely <laughs> crazy. Every single time, every single time, yeah. like the mouse things, it's like you're not authorized to do that in this browser. I'm just trying to cut and paste, mate. It happens in documents. Please stop hurting my feelings. Yeah, I have. Um, that's one of those things you use because you're like grudgingly forced to because it's in the Microsoft suite of toilets and products. <laughs> Google Google Docs, very good for collaboration. Well, there you go. This is a mid roll that makes sense for you. Yeah, but you know we wouldn't we wouldn't we wouldn't get it if we didn't like it. Check it out. And we don't lo- and we don't like a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> James, oh, uh, t- take a break. Let's take a break. Take a break. Let's take, take a, a break. break. Tell them we're taking a break. We're taking a break. We'll be back soon with more hurts. If you're liking what you're hearing, there are a few ways that you can support the work that we do when everything hurts. First, you can throw some of your spare change to us each month, $5 to be exact, and you'll get access to a bonus episode every single month. There's also a $1 tier that will get you access to the Everything Hurts newsletter and the occasional bonus episode. Second, we've got a merch store where we sell hoodies, shirts, and coffee mugs, which is our most popular thing that we sell, so you can tell everyone that you listen to the best science podcast in the world. Third, you can tell your friends about the show by sharing links to episodes on social media. James and I love seeing these posts. For links to our Patreon page and merch store, check out the show notes. James, I want to talk about this um, something we haven't spoken about before, which is uh, re- research conduct in Switzerland. <laughs> no, this a new yeah. a new code of conduct a code of conduct for scientific integrity was Are recently. You a fucking stroke. No, I'm <laughs> code of code of code of what code, code of, of conduct code code of conduct of <laughs> yeah. For scientific integrity was released from the Swiss Academies, the Swiss Academies of Arts and Sciences, and this was very interesting for the sort of stuff that they were uh, that they were covering. Uh, we've spoken about oh, this. Yeah. We've spoken about this before. Um, for how do you deal with scientific misconduct? And this was really interesting. Before we get into it, I, I also want to say this is actually quite well written. Quite often, these documents are very dry, very hard to follow. But this was this is this is very well written. So going through it, I'm like, yeah, this is a uh, good on you, Swiss Academies. But James, mm. what what jumped out to you? Um, going through this this code of conduct and what sort of stuff? Um- a huge, huge expansion of um, what is considered to be a formal violation of scientific integrity. Basically, we've got, look, we've got the old formal stuff, right? Falsification, fabrication, plagiarism, naughty, 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 right? Stand- and then, you know, they they threw their arms open to... Um, they threw their arms open to 
a fucking substantial amount of extra uh, areas of misconduct. So let's see if I can see if I can get them all. There's authorship stuff. So you know, you're the head of the institution. You muscle in on the graduate uh, graduate student's paper. You add your name, right? Um, on papers or grants or fucking anything, back of a chip packet, yeah? Um, lies about, like, publication lists or, like, saying something is in a fancy journal doesn't actually exist. Presumably uh, publishing in science and nature is still okay. <laughs> um, actual data hand. this is obviously the big one for me, actual data handling stuff, so misuse of materials, failure to preserve materials past a certain point, um, failure to, uh, like, withholding when you have no reason to withhold, um, violating, like, uh, obligations to disclose, so probably that comes into play in clinical trials, um, and then there was a whole bunch of, uh, there's a whole bunch of other, like, collaborative stuff. One of the things was failure to investigate another allegation of misconduct. So, you know, person A is harassing person B. Person A takes it to lab head C, and lab head C goes, ah, well, what are you going to do? Um... I think I've got A and B the wrong way around there, but you know what I mean. What are you going to do? We're not going to do. Uh, we're not going to do anything. Screw it. That in itself is misconduct. Now, according to this definition, um, it's also now uh, misconduct to lie or obfuscate in a misconduct investigation, <laughs> which is like crazy. Um, and one of them that stood out was right at the bottom. I think everyone everyone pointed to this or say it anyway, is that excessive self-citation is now officially misconduct. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know the name I'm thinking of. He's, he's toast. The moment he moves up a, he's not going to Switzerland and buys a big wheel of cheese. <laughs> no, he's not he's not retiring to Switzerland, bless him. Fucking clown. Anyway, so as might be expected, like any code of conduct or any set of laws, right? The moment it's released, uh, how that becomes an expression of the reality of whatever, how it's enforced, how it's understood is just as important as what's actually in it. So very, very few, I don't think any really, like I have a few quibbles with some meeting some definition of misconduct. So let's say we've got all this and it includes everything we don't like, right? So now there needs to be oversight. What hasn't changed as far as I can tell from this is the procedure of, well, how are you going to get it in front of a committee full of people who are going to do the actual thing itself? How long is that going to take? How long will the... the, the, the how long will it take the uh, investigative and decision-making bodies to investigate and make decisions? Um, what is the, the process for being able to get all that set up? 
um, what protections are offered for people who are actually within the process. And then, of course, like who gets to make an allegation and how, and how is it processed over time? I mean, all of this stuff becomes super important in the legal system, you know? And it's one of the reasons that a lot of things are under-prosecuted and a lot of things are, a lot of things are over-prosecuted, right? Because of what you, what you actually need. One of the reasons that cops can plant drugs on young kids and then go, well, look, here, here's the drugs. That's a lot of the reason why, at the same time, um, like domestic violence is under prosecuted, because it is like the, the 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 system of enforcement throws their hands up and go, oh, we can't do anything because it's not a felony, blah. Unless you choose to prosecute, blah. Like they give a shit, right? So how it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this is chosen to be implemented and i think the acid test will come at some point in time give it a year give it three um when there's something that's kind of borderline or meets one of these definitions or something that's sort of in the in the grayish zone because they put a lot more black and white into what is presently gray zones a lot more and when something actually needs to get through this system, let's say someone with a, uh, a, a substantial level, a substantial career level of self-citation duplicating their own publications and shit like that, you know, which most people go, oh, a bit dodgy. Maybe let's not make him the president of the whatever society, but there's no question of like, would your work be affected, you know? It's just a matter of, well, you've gone down several pegs in my estimation, buddy boy. Now I only think you're mostly eminent. It's not that. It's like getting a hold before the beak, you know? Different. Use less Australian slang, James. Okay, so um, is there the possibility, the other thing that you, you need to ask immediately is, is there the possibility to misuse something like this? And given the breadth of everything, you think, yeah, there would be. But here's the I'm I'm hesitant to think that that's going to be a great big thing. I'll tell you why. Because it requires a certain evolved level of malice and dickishness to be able to, to, to run something like that up the chain to really develop that. Yeah? Especially in science. It requires I mean there obviously there are cases of people getting falsely accused of research misconduct. It's pretty uncommon on the balance of things. And in general, considered people get let off to serious stuff all the time, it's pretty uncommon that false allegations get run up and then are eventually decided that like, something really terrible happened and they should be sanctioned. Yeah? It's hard to do, and there's not a lot of genuinely malicious people with that much time on their hands for the, the same reason that there's not a lot of, like, hardcore, undetectable, total bullshit fraud and an awful lot of the problems of, like, they're bad researchers rather than bad people who are also researchers, right? So, in many respects, the shoe remains to drop, when it uh, said something like this, I mean, obviously it's a tremendous start. I would love there to be, I mean, just the leverage of being able to say, you did this paper. We have a mathematical reason to believe there's something wrong with it. The journal has an open data policy. 
you would be surprised how many people get to a situation like that and and go, yeah, well, the cat still ate my homework, so you're going to have to piss off. Your recourse in that situation is the editor's not going to help you. They're not going to retract the paper because you didn't get the data. They're not even going to investigate. They're going to tell you to pound sand, right? But the idea that at the end of that, if you go through all of this rigmarole that's happened many times to me and many, many more times to people that I know, if you go through all of this and right at the end you say, look, I really want to see this and I really think there's a problem here and I really don't think you're being honest with me. The idea that when you finish the end of this, it is legit misconduct on the other side of it that is because, I mean, if this, this is the actual point, like send me the thing, yeah. What happens? We're, t- we're talking about the difference between that being dead to rights misconduct and that being perfectly okay and, frankly, the veil behind which a lot of terrible scientific work hides behind. So, you know, I mean, what was I saying before about oh, how could you misuse that? Flip that immediately and then have someone immediately write to you. You're like, Dan, I've suddenly moved you to Switzerland now, yeah? Another cold another cold place uh, with fine. hills full of white people. You'll feel just fine, right? So we move you there and then suddenly I write to you and say, Dan, I don't like your chin. Send me every piece of relevant data to everything you've ever published. How are we going to handle, like, vexatious requests? And the answer is probably socially to a degree. I mean, because if you tell them they're doing that, they go, well, it's misconduct. You didn't immediately send me 45 articles worth of fucking data that was immediately available. Um, it's probably going to, like, they're going to investigate something like that. It's going to shake out the other side. And someone's going to go, well, the person who asked, who is also now part of the public record for having asked, presumably, at some point in time during this, is going to be revealed to be a great big dick. Well, in the Norwegian system, legally you can find out and get anyone's tax return. You can apply to the tax office and go, I want to get that lady's tax return and find out exactly what her salary is. But here's the kicker. They will find out who asked for it. Ah, so gotcha. so this this transparency is transparency so this this is interesting like a, a lot of journalists have used it uh, for you know for you know for public figures um, but people almost never use it to spite the neighbors because they will find out who made the request so if you make these things public I think that'll really reduce any frivolous applications you'd think you'd think the right to know. And the right to know someone's asking. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so I imagine that the abuse of that system is probably pretty thin, all things being considered. Very, very, very thin. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean... You get, or anything like this, you get a lot of custom more on it in the breach than the observance kind of shit. And when, when something goes out into social life, I mean, this is a little bit similar in a way to should we make people pay up front for OAP journals? It's, it's really difficult to know exactly how people will act on a macro scale. It's really difficult to predict. Um, so... If there were, I mean, the other thing is, of course, is oh, yeah, how, 
I can't think off the top of my head of any major misconduct investigations from bloody Switzerland. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, a lot of other countries, yeah, you could start listing them off like it's your shopping, you know? But Switzerland? I don't know. Look, maybe it's a, so maybe it's a, a, to them. It's it's not that they're trying to deal with a rash of like some. Oh, hang on, we've got all these bastards. We need to be better organised than everyone else. We know what we're good at. <laughs> um, maybe it's a, so like the the, the ability to modernise this and the ability to release it in response to being able to perceive a problem are not the same thing, and that is sort of. It feels like in that case it has a sort of a progressive bent, you know. What? Like we're doing, we're doing this because it feels like the right way to run the business, rather than we need to get Dave. It's always or uh, it's always good to get ahead. That, yeah, 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 yeah. But see, what that does is it's. I don't think it's. I don't think it's because they've identified a huge swathe of poorly behaved Swiss researchers. I'm sure. I'm sure they fucking exist. Um. It feels like something that's being done to, like, in the name of the furtherance of the research enterprise rather than because they feel like they're trying to ameliorate a problem. One thing I particularly like about this is it's not really a surprise that they consider you not handing over data or you not cooperating with investigations misconduct. Uh, But what is interesting is that they consider you not handling your data well misconduct too so you can't fall back on yeah it was on uh, it was one on one laptop and that got stolen 3 years ago that 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 is not responsible data storage so you can't weasel out of we can't give you data because we've lost it because that in itself is also misconduct too so it's misconduct to lose the data yeah or right. to, or to not sort of you know if, if, if both your data centers burnt down, that's, that's one thing, but that, that's never going to happen. All these things are, are, are backed up in various situations. So with most, with most institutions nowadays, it is fairly straightforward to they, they, they all have places that you can store data, which are backed up. So that is nice to see. But yeah, it's going to be interesting, interesting to see um, when this gets applied test cases, all that kind of stuff. But it is, uh, it's, it's very nice to see stuff like that. Yeah, um, but also, I mean, look, Australia doesn't have a, a formal uh, research misconduct body. Uh, America does, and they produce about one case every twenty-seven years. It's a minor exaggeration. Um, they they deal with a very minor amount of what's put in front of them, presumably. Um, and I think they have very little statutory authority to investigate things, especially when universities are involved. You know, you can't get anything resolved quickly, ever, it feels like. Um, so how this gets how this gets implemented will be really interesting. And I hope that it remains as responsible as it seems. I hope that it is... um, I hope it's something they can use to make things better without getting mired in the complications. 
because there are a lot of them. A lot. And you don't always have a great idea where something like this goes. And we don't know what the sanctions are going to be. Say something like, turns out to be misconduct now, and then they, uh, they they run this thing right to its end, and it takes two years, and at the end they sign you up for supportive counselling. You know? So the proportionality remains to be determined as well. I want to see someone get pinged by self-citation. <laughs> <laughs> what's the what? you, you said that you said that a minute ago and you referred to it you're already guilty what's the uh, get up a mountain go to Switzerland go to Switzerland straight get thrown get thrown get thrown the clacker what's uh, <laughs> what, what, what are you what's what are you what? in for mate yeah self citation <laughs> <laughs> I'm an irresponsible steward of data cool yeah, you, lo, 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 lots of friends in prison there uh, yeah <laughs> we, we're going to wrap up for this episode thanks to Paperpile for supporting the show and uh, we'll be back again soon with some more hurts yeah we certainly will I'm going to be coming back like a recurring infection or a comet <laughs>